Sunday morning, we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians together in a series entitled Christian Living in a Pagan World. And if you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. Just wave and get their attention and they'll get a Bible into your hands. And then we also want you to know that if you don't own a Bible, well, you do now. That Bible is yours from the Lord. And uh, make a friend of it, grow deep in it, and you won't be disappointed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This morning we pick things up in verse 35. And Paul writes by the Spirit of God, and he says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And Paul responds to that, those questions by declaring, Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, and another of fish, and another of birds. And there's also celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial, that is heavenly bodies, is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another of the stars. And for one star differs from another star in glory. And so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first, first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also were those who were made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, of Adam, we also bear as Christians the image of the heavenly man, speaking of Jesus. And now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, as we read about the broad diversity within plant life and within flesh and blood and within the heavenly bodies. We thank you for the diversity of your word and all of the subjects that it addressed, Lord. Some things that are obvious to us in terms of their importance and other things, Lord, we wonder about, and then the importance of them dawn upon us a little bit later in our walk with you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all of it. And we pray that all of the hope, Lord, and all of the blessing and perspective that this 
passage is intended to bring to our lives, that it would do so this morning, that the Word would come forth not in word only, but in the demonstration of your Spirit and in power as you would speak to us right from your throne. That's what we ask for, Lord. Enlarge our understanding of you, and then as a result of that, enlarge our worship of you and deepen our relationship with you. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we have the Apostle Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired elaboration on the subject of resurrection. And he wrote this chapter, as we have spoken about in recent weeks over and over again, but in order to drive home the point, he wrote this entire chapter in response to a false teaching that had uh, gotten a foothold in the church at Corinth, and that teaching is encapsulated in verse 12 of the chapter, and that some were teaching there is no resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, having assured us in an earlier passage within the chapter that as Christians, our future resurrection is as sure as Jesus' resurrection. And the passage that we look at here this morning, Paul lets us know how that's going to happen. And then he gives us some insights into what our new resurrection body will be like. Now, in this passage this morning, the Apostle Paul uh, gives voice to the objections of some of the opponents of, of resurrection were using in order to defend their rejection of resurrection, to, in order to defend their rejection of the idea of a bodily resurrection after death, of a physical existence after this life. And he speaks of this in verse, those questions that were being asked, the objections in verse 35. And the objections of these men and women came in the form of two questions. The first question was, how were the dead raised? And so we have a how question. And then the second question is, with what body do they come? And so we have a what question as well. It's important to realize that the questions that these false teachers were asking were not honest questions. These questions were being asked in a dismissive tone related to the resurrection. That's why Jesus respond, I mean, Paul responds so strongly in verse 36 by speaking to them as foolish ones, or he calls them a fool for uh, the position that they're taking there. They, the two questions that they were asking were being asked, not with the idea of receiving an answer, but in order to scorn or to ridicule the idea of being bodily resurrected after this life. And so they are the questions of those who have already made up their mind on a subject and now they've closed their minds. And so these two questions were the dismissive questions of of those who thought that they were too smart or too intellectual or too scientific to believe in 
resurrection. And now they've come to a place in their life where they just simply sniff at the idea of there being a resurrection and a bodily resurrection after this life. But no question about God that one fails to take to God, that one fails to ask of God, is an honest question. An honest question is a question that I am willing to take to the one person who can answer my question. And if I fail to take my question to that person, then I'm not interested in an answer. I'm interested in defending my position. And I don't want my position to be assaulted or changed by any new facts that would be brought into the equation. So they're asking these questions of anyone and everyone. They're dismissing the idea of resurrection with these questions. They're doing everything but taking those two questions to the one person that can answer those questions. When a person does that, whether that's you or me, I'm not really being honest about my questions, and I'm not being honest about whatever subject I'm declaring or trying to position myself to appear as if I'm honest or open in my search for the truth in that particular area. Well, those, since these who objected to the idea of the possibility of a bodily resurrection after death refused to be open about their questions, refused to honestly bring their questions to God for an answer. Well, the Apostle Paul here in this passage, he steps in and he voices their objections for them, and then he proceeds to answer their objections. And in verses 36 through 41, we have Paul's answer to their first question, and that is, how were the dead raised up? And Paul's answer to that question, in a nutshell, is God does it. He speaks of that in verse 38 very specifically. And in declaring that God performs this resurrection, he speaks of God's ability to raise the dead from three witnesses that they were very familiar with in the ancient world and we are familiar with today. First, he speaks from the realm of agriculture, the realm of plant life, and he declares that the seed speaks of God's ability to accomplish resurrection. And it speaks of God's ability to accomplish resurrection for the simple reason that God has built resurrection into every seed. You put uh, this seed, this lowly body, in the ground, and you bury it, and then behold, a new body comes out of it. And he speaks about wheat here. And so a wheat seed is put into the ground, and if you didn't know any better, it would appear that you've made an end of that seed. That's it. It's buried. It's done. There'll be no more 
statement related to this. It's the end of the story. But then a resurrection of sorts occurs and a new life springs out in the form of first a green shoot and then a stalk and then a head of grain, all from that lowly seed, which is all a dramatic improvement upon the seed. And you take it with every seed. You go into a nursery and they've got burpee seed brands and all kinds of things. They look dead in the package. And you plant them and they're a picture of resurrection. Same thing with bulbs. You take a daffodil bulb or a tulip bulb or any bulb that you might find uh, in a nursery and then you plant it. And what are we doing when we plant it? We're burying it. And then you wait for a while and then you watch the beauty that comes forth from that ugly old bulb. Nothing uglier in the world than a tulip bulb. You put it into the ground and what comes forth? A tulip bulb plant? No. A beautiful tulip comes out. You say, how in the world could something that beautiful come out of something so ugly in comparison? It's a beautiful picture of the resurrection. You think your body's hot now? Wait till you see the one you're going to get in heaven. <laughs> the difference. And Paul's point is that the God who's able to design resurrection into every seed and bring life out of its death, that God is amply able to do the same thing in and with a human body. Now he moves second from agriculture and he points us to what is nothing less than a mind-boggling diversity uh, of life that God has created within the realm of flesh and blood. And he speaks of it in verse 39 that he's created man, human beings. He created every kind of animal after all of their diversity, every kind of fish after their diversity. If you haven't been to an aquarium in a while, it's amazing the diversity that's just uh, in the animal kingdom that lives in the water. Think about squids and octopuses and Think about whales and trout and all kinds of things. And then he created every kind of bird. And I'm a big fan of birds. I love to watch birds. I haven't quite got a bird-watching outfit with a little binoculars and jacket and the book and the whole thing. But I may end up there someday. So you get surprised as your uh, life goes on. But his point in bringing all of this up is is this. Isn't the God who created all of these wildly diverse bodies, not just within mankind, but then in the animal kingdom, the species and all the subcategories of all of this, he's able to create all of the wildly diverse bodies represented in the realm of flesh and blood. Isn't he also able to provide a man with a new resurrection body that's made for heaven and eternity as well. And of course, the answer is, of course, he's able to do that. As the old saying goes, that if Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is true, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then everything else is a snap for him. Everything else is easy. It's just effortless 
by comparison. I think about what Paul spoke to King Agrippa in his defense in the city of Caesarea and recorded in Acts chapter 26. He declared to King Agrippa, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? And the idea is this, come on, it's God we're talking about. We're not talking about you raising the dead. We're not talking about the president raising the dead or some king raising the dead and further clothing that body with a new body. We're talking about God who's made this promise. Then third, Paul in verse 40 invites us to consider the heavenly bodies that God has created as well. The sun, the moon, the stars, the celestial bodies, all of the beauty and the glory of the stars. You just think about planet Earth. Think about the value of the minerals that are in this, just this planet alone, the gold, the silver, the oil, what's bound up in this planet. And they estimate that there are planets out there that might be you know, we think we see a little diamond or a little ruby or whatever, and we get excited about it and all. There may be planets that are entirely made up of those very things. Amazing to look at all of them, and each one of them priceless. And the point is, is that when man thinks of his own resurrection, independent of God, if he just looks at bodily resurrection in the light of his own resources, then of course we're going to conclude that it's impossible. But Paul declares that that isn't what Christianity asks us to believe. What's impossible for us to do isn't even difficult for God to do. And all of this is testified to by creation. The God who created all of this can certainly create new resurrected human bodies out of our old bodies. will be effortless for him to do so, a snap to do so. And then in verses 42 through 49, we have Paul's answer to the second question that they were asking, and that is, with what body do they come? Now, let me uh, raise a preliminary question before we start to answer that one. And the question is this, why do we need a new body after death? And the reason we need a new body after death is because, he tells us in verse 50, a flesh and blood body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That corruption, this is corruption, cannot inherit incorruption. That is, the physical body, this physical body that we have from fallen Adam, it's made for the earth, it's not made for heaven, it's not made for eternity. And so when we die, we don't need a resurrection of our old natural body. We need a resurrection that further closes us, clothes us with a spiritual body. That is, a body that is physical, but it's made for heaven, and it's made for eternity. And that's why he writes in verse 44, there is a spirit, a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. In other words, he's telling those who think of resurrection in their 
um, limited way and thus scorning the idea of resurrection, they were thinking that this same body is going to be our eternal body. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's not what God declares at all. It, our new body won't be this body that we have now exactly, but we will be further clothed with a spiritual body made for eternity. Now, let's return to Paul's answer to their second question. That is, with what body do they come? That's an interesting question. You say, what's my new body going to be like, my resurrection body? What body has God prepared for me that's going to be, I'm going to have for eternity? Well, what happens when we die as Christians? He tells us here in verses 42 through 44. And again, Paul likens our old body and being buried at the time of our death to a seed. And he says, it is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. That body is buried, it's sown in corruption, but when it is raised, and the resurrection body is raised in incorruption, it, our new body will never age, it will never be subject to disease, it will never decay, it will never experience death. He goes on and says in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. And a body is sown in dishonor. Think about the person that you love who has died. All of the memories. Think about mom, if that's a good memory for you all of the cakes and the pies that she made, and she'd tweak your little cheek until it'd be all red and always saying just the right thing and these memories that you might have of your mother or somebody else. And then they die. And what do we do? We put their body in the ground. You ever stop and think about that? It's like it's a dishonor to the person. But what are we going to do with the bodies? But Paul says it is sown in dishonor. And it's true. But it's raised in glory. In other words, all that body, new body, will ever know henceforth is glory. Verse 43, it's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. That new body, we will never know weakness again. This body becomes weaker by the year. After a certain age, it becomes stronger by the year for a very short period of time, and then the rest of our life it spends growing weaker by the year. But the new body will know a power that we've never known before in our new bodies, and it will never grow weaker. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. This is wonderful news. The new body, the supreme concern of our new body will be for spiritual things. Our eternal body will know nothing of the downward pull towards sin. Hallelujah. <laughs> The lone desire of our new body will be for what is spiritual. And at that point, when we are further clothed with this new body, we'll finally have a body that's consistent with our new nature. 
our new man that the Holy Spirit has brought into our lives. There'll be no more conflict between our new man and our old man ever again. The new man and the new body will be completely united together. And his conclusion concerning all of this in verse 44 is that there's a natural body and there is a spiritual. They were thinking that the same body will be our eternal body, but it won't be exactly this body. We're going to be further clothed with a body made for eternity. And in fact, Paul is very specific about this in his second letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 5, where he declares, he said, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, talking about this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this body we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven, our new body. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked or disembodied spirit. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed or a disembodied spirit, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the single greatest insight that Paul gives us here concerning our new body is communicated several different ways, but it's the same point in verses 45 through 49. And it's wonderfully encapsulated in verse 49, where he writes, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that is Adam, and all of us do, fallen Adam, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Jesus. And so the question, with what body do they come? We will come and be clothed with a resurrection body that is going to be a body that is like Jesus' body following his resurrection. That's Paul's answer to it. And so just as the first Adam connects us to the earth, to original creation, the second Adam connects us to heaven and all of its glory. And so in this life, our body has borne the image of Adam. In the next life, it will bear the image of Jesus. John wrote in his first epistle, John chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul declares much the same thing in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. He said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In other words, he will do it, and it will be effortless for him to do that. And so in order to learn a little bit about our new body, all we need to do is just study 
Jesus in the Gospels and in the early chapter or two of the book of Acts where we see him following his resurrection from the dead. And after his resurrection from the dead, he had a physical body. He wasn't just a spirit being. He was, his was a bodily resurrection. He could eat and he could drink. Need a body to do that. You remember on the night of his resurrection, the disciples are terrified and huddled away in a room somewhere in Jerusalem, and they've locked up all of the doors to the room up tight, afraid that they're going to be arrested for being identified with Jesus. And Jesus appears to them in the room, and part of the conversation he has with them, ultimately he declares to them, do you have any food here? And so, they get, and it wasn't because Jesus was like hungry. Man, I've got like the resurrection munchies here or something. He's wanting to let them know. I'm not a spirit being. I'm a, this is a bodily resurrection that's occurred. I'm with you here right now, as with you as I ever was in my incarnation. And so, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and... They gave him some honeycomb, which is very exciting to me. Apparently, we're going to have a sweet tooth. We'll be satisfied in our glorified bodies. And Jesus took it and he ate in their presence. He could be touched. You remember he appeared on the night of his resurrection to those disciples in that room. Thomas was absent. And when Thomas arrived later after Jesus had departed, he said, I won't believe unless I can take my very fingers and put them in the hole within his side and the holes that are within his hands. And the following Sunday, Jesus appears to them once again, and he invites Thomas to put his fingers in the holes and to touch those wounds, if that's what was required for him to be believing. It was a physical body. And yet, it, it was not the same body as he had during his incarnation. After his resurrection, he was able to just simply appear in a room that was uh, completely locked up tight. Again, just like he did with the disciples on the night of the resurrection. The doors completely locked, remain locked. And then there he is within the room, some kind of a makeup of the body that allowed all of that uh, to happen. And as in the words of Acts chapter 1 verse 3, he presented himself alive, speaking of Jesus, after his sufferings with many infallible proofs, being seen by people during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to God. And we have no indication that it was necessary for him to physically walk from one location to another, that he made his way from the Jerusalem and he had to cross the Jordan, made his way up through Samaria in order to get to Galilee to ultimately meet with them. He would have been mobbed like crazy if he had done it that way. And so he, uh, uh, he merely uh, just 
appeared that he could depart from one place and, and, and in what we would consider to be a disappearance and then appear elsewhere with and it, just a thought and be someplace else. And he did it with the men on the road to Emmaus on the day of Jesus' resurrection. He comes alongside them, and they have lost all of their hope concerning him as the Messiah. He talks with them, gives them probably the greatest prophetic Bible study that's ever been given. They come to their destination, and the, they go in to eat. They invite Jesus in. He eats with them, talks with them. He is revealed to them, and then he disappears. He's gone in an instant from their presence, vanished from their sight, is how the Holy Spirit puts it. Third thing we learn about Jesus and, and related to our, our, we learn about our new body re related to Jesus is that we'll be recognizable in our new body, just as Jesus was following his resurrection. Nobody wondered. They knew it was Jesus following the resurrection. He was recognizable for who he was. And so we're going to be different in our new body, but we will be recognizable. We're not going to look like those, you know, droid armies in Star Wars movies. We've got all these sea of these white droids and all that are out there, and every one of them looks exactly the same. When we get a new body, it's not going to be like everybody gets the, you know, a Chevy Impala 1965 or whatever year, and there they are just lined up forever. And so there we are in heaven. They have to give us name tags because we all look exactly the same. No, we will be recognizable for who we were in this life. When you sow wheat into the ground, Paul says, you don't harvest barley, you get wheat. And so when they sow you into the ground or me into the ground, we're not going to get Lucy McGillicuddy. We're going to get you on the other side of that. And when I get into heaven, I'm going to recognize Charles Spurgeon based upon the pictures that I've seen of him in his books and in his biographies. I will immediately recognize my friend Bill McDonald. Moses will undeniably be Moses. I won't recognize him. If I told you I had pictures of Moses, <laughs> you'd wonder about everything I've said in the sermon up to this point. But he was a contemporary of some group of people who in heaven will recognize him immediately as Moses. And then upon being introduced to Moses, I will recognize him as Moses for the rest of eternity. And so too concerning Abraham and Sarah and David and Rahab and Mary and Stephen and Paul. And what will be true of all of them will also be true of each of us. Now, we won't struggle with our weight. We won't have acne up there or worry about our, head our hairline or wrinkles or any of those kind of things. It'll be a new body, somehow recognizable, and, and yet somehow us, but vastly improved. In the words of verse 38, it'll be a body that, number one, 
pleases God, and number two, is vastly superior to the one that we have now. In other words, you're going to be very, very happy with that new body. I'm going to be able to dunk a basketball again. I'm going to be able to take off from the free throw line, the top of the key. There'll be no basketball there, probably at all. But we'll be happy, very happy with that new body. And we will not just be recognizable physically, but I don't have any doubt that we'll be recognizable in terms of personality as well. I believe we're going to maintain the uniqueness of our personality in heaven. We'll all have the same personality in, in heaven. I hope my friend Gail Irwin maintains a sanctified version of his personality in heaven. What makes Gail Irwin Gail Irwin is not just his body, but his personality, the real him that's inside of that body. And so, each of our individual personalities are going to be different from what they are now. They're going to be better than they are now in that they're going to be completely sanctified, completely conformed into the image of Christ, but it will be us. And so again, Paul answers the two questions. How are the dead raised up? And his answer is, God does it. And it's effortless for him to do that. Why would anybody think that it would be, as Paul said to Agrippa, an impossible thing or even a hard thing for God to raise the dead? And then the answer to the second question, with what body do they come? His answer is, it'll be a body that pleases God, that bears the image of Jesus, and that will exceed our every expectation. Hip, hip. All right. You've seen some British movies. That's the body that awaits us. Now, I'd like to close our service this morning by inviting our beloved Kit Lloyd to come out. And I want, I've asked him to close us in a song that he wrote many, many years ago. I don't know how many of you will remember it from the old 10th and F days that speaks to this very thing that we're talking about here uh, this morning. And I always liked this song from the very first time that I heard it, and I find myself humming it to myself more and more the older that I get. And you'll understand why in just a moment. And you know what? I want you to have this same hummable song in your heart as uh, well. And so, Kit's going to lead us. You remain seated during this, and he's going to lead us in this worship song. Join in. Feel free to join in as you're able. And then after enjoying this, uh, you'll be dismissed after the service. Kit, introduce it any way that you want. Say whatever you want, and let her rip. Whatever... Whatever we'll call it, it's a song. You can help us out with the, uh, the background. Sam and Shelby are going to help us out. would love it if you'd help us with this part. It's pretty fun. It's just the French, French pronunciation of body. It's body, body. I don't really know that. I'm just going to.
gonna get a new body. Body, body. This one's falling apart. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. Already got a new heart. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. And I'll be so very glad. I'm gonna have more hair than I've ever had. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. This one's falling apart. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. Already got a new heart. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. As soon I'll be with him. I'll never take pectate ever again. Ooh. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. This one's falling apart. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. Already got a new heart. Gonna get a new body. Body, body. When I hear that trumpet sound, that glorious day my feet will leave. That glorious day my feet will leave. That glorious day my feet will leave the ground.